You're listening to That You Might Know, a series in the book of 1 John preached by Pastor Rick Dressler at Maple City Baptist Church. For more information, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. Let's pray this morning. Lord, we come and we thank you for what we've heard through the reading of your word, through the singing of the hymns. And Lord, our prayer this morning is that if this were the day that you would split the eastern sky, that it would be well with our souls, that there would be nothing between our soul and the Savior, that we would not be ashamed, but we look forward with, with joy and anticipation for that great day. And Lord, even as I say that, I know my own heart. I know the heart of our people. That there are often times in this world that we are sidetracked, that we are off the path, that we do love this world more than we ought. And so, Lord, I pray now with the next few moments as we look at the text from 1 John, that your words speak with power and authority, that I'd be taken out of the way, that Christ would be exalted, that we'd examine our hearts and our lives in light of your word and your spirit and your truth, And Lord, my prayer for myself and for our people is that we would leave here with a new understanding of what it means to love you compared to loving this world, and that we would once again be turned towards you. We ask all this now in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Take your Bibles this morning as we sort through this and turn to 1 John chapter 2. For the folks who have been part of our church or been visiting our church over the last, mm, I don't know, 10, over 10 weeks, I have sad news for you. We are finally out of 1 John chapter 2, verse 14. We have been there for a long time. Um, we actually had at least eight messages from one verse. And so this morning, we're done with that. And I, I hope it was a help to you. I enjoyed the, the series on, on overcoming. But we started a new section this morning. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. Let me just read the text this morning. This is where we're going to spend our time today, and in another week or so, we'll be here again. Verse 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. Many of us this morning, we know this portion, we've memorized this portion, Uh, I think we believe we understand this portion. But before we start, we must remember who is John writing to? To believers. He is telling believers almost 2,000 years ago, hey, listen, I want to warn you, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And so apparently, this was a problem for believers 2,000 years ago. I wonder if it's still the case. 
Listen to what Spurgeon said 150 years ago. I believe that the reason why the church of God at this present moment has so little influence over the world 150 years ago is because the world has so much influence over the church 150 years ago. More recently, C.J. Mahaney said this, the greatest challenge facing Western evangelicals is not persecution from the world, but seduction by the world. The Apostle John will not just warn us this morning of the real danger of worldliness and what it produces, but will help us to see the pathway to what Newton said is solid joy and lasting treasures. Do we not need in our world today, brother and sister, solid joys? Like real joy. Like lasting joy. Like a joy that no matter what is swirling in our world today cannot be taken away. Solid joy and lasting treasure. And so, this morning, we're going to tackle this portion of Scripture. Again, many of us know this by heart. We've memorized these portions of Scriptures. This is not new for most believers. But I think it's fair to define some of the words here so we're all on the same page. Uh, The Apostle John says, do not love the world. The word love means to take pleasure in, which makes sense to us, right? We love the things that we take pleasure in. They bring pleasure to us. It is based on a high regard for its value or importance. We understand we love things that we value. We love things that are important to us. They bring us pleasure. They bring us joy. They bring us satisfaction. And so John says, don't love the world. So don't take pleasure in, in, in and, and value and think of importance of things in the world. So the world must be defined. Um, there are many meanings of the world in the word of God. And so it's important to take in the context and understand what he's saying. Um, John is not saying don't love the world in the created world. The world we live in, this globe that we stand upon. When God created this world, when he was finished, and, and can you imagine Out of the power of the word of God, he spoke, let there be. And everything that we see and experience and what we don't see and experience, it came from his power. He created it. And when he was done, he said, it's very good. It's very good. And even though marred by sin and fallenness, this world is good. We look at the beauty, the design, the intricacy, the intelligence of all of it. And for all of us, it's different. For some, it's nature. There are campers. I don't understand them, but there are campers who who like to be in the woods. And I, I get that part of creation or the lake or the oceans or the mountaintops or the galaxy to look into the heavens. And this world is a beautiful, beautiful creation. He is not talking about the created world, nor is he talking about the creatures of this world. 
We're here gathered together, and I have to tell you, this is my favorite place to be, in the household of God, with the people of God, brothers and sisters in Christ that I love. It's wonderful. The creatures that God has created, our families, our friends, our community. We know that he's not talking about the creatures of this world because John 3 tells us, for God so loved this world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So we need clarification. What does it mean then for you and for me this morning not to love, take pleasure, think of the importance um, or value of this world that he's talking about? Clarification. John is not talking about the created order. He's not talking about creatures of the world. He is talking about loving and pursuing of the world that stands opposed to the will and the word of God. It's a perspective. It's a philosophy that says, I love those things that exclude the God of heaven. Now, now maybe if that definition is too much for you to, to handle and digest, let me give you another one. This is by Kevin DeYoung, who said, the idea of world or worldliness is this, whatever makes sin look normal. And sin is just breaking God's law, his commandments, transgressing, being crooked in our behavior, not reflecting his glory, not being good image bearers. Whatever makes that look normal, and then righteousness and godliness, strange, that's worldliness. And so in our lives, the things that we do or love or pursue that, that make God's things look strange to us is worldliness. And if that one still doesn't help, this is what we're going to stick with today, uh, succinctly said by Tim Keller. He said, worldliness is the mindset that now, now, right here, right now, is all that matters. No thought of God, no thought of eternity, no thought of the spiritual, the everlasting, now is all that matters. And you say this morning, yep, okay, got it, let's just move on. But may I remind you, this was written 2,000 years ago to believers in that world, that philosophy, that structure, that culture, and it's true for us today. And the reason this topic is so difficult for us, and I'm saying for us, we think we know what he's, there's more to this, but it's difficult because in the world that we live in the West, this is our culture. We exclude God and we exalt ourselves by any means. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. And it's hard because we actually imbibe this culture. We drink it down and we have no idea that that's where we're living today. It's as if we're going to explain to fish what water is. There's no concept. They live there. That is the air that they breathe. And I submit to you, my brother and sister in Christ this morning, in our culture, in the West, in our world, even in our churches, this is where we live. And so it's strange for us to even think that we could possibly love this world and exclude God in our Christian life. But I submit to you, it is not impossible. And I would say that it's probable. 
Not for all of us, but for most. Now listen, this morning, I am talking to believers in Christ. If you're here this morning and you do not know that you know that Jesus is your Savior, and you've been trusting in a religious system, you've been trusting in some rituals or some rules, on you do this and, and that good outweighs the bad and you get in, that is not salvation. There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Jesus Christ paid it all. He, he bought us with his own blood. He stepped into our place. We are born again. Okay, so if you don't know that, you must know that. And we, we want to introduce you to Jesus Christ. He is the Savior of the world, the only door to enter into heaven. But for the rest of us here who know him, I'm assuming already this morning that you have a sense or an awareness of what I'm speaking of. I have seen in our church over the last several months um, a desire, a desire growing and building for more, knowing that things just aren't right in our Christian lives, and I'm encouraged by that. And I believe this morning there's a sense for us who have gathered, you're here. There's some aspiration within you to say, yes, it's, it's Sunday morning. I could be anywhere. I'm here. I want more. But I would submit to you, for the believer this morning, oftentimes in our lives, we can be literally practical atheists. Where we say, I believe in God, but the way our lives are lived never lines up to that truth. And so, what I'd like to do this morning is, is just run down four areas that we could honestly assess our own lives as believers and say, okay, I'm not looking around, I'm not nudging my spouse, I'm not looking to my kids or my parents, I'm not thinking about my neighbors. But as I, as I view my own life this morning, as I evaluate, I want to be honest and open, oh God, search me, try me, open my eyes. Could it be that as a believer in Christ, I love this world more than my love for the Father? So here's the test. As I look at my own life this morning, is my life characterized by a focus on me? A focus on me. I want to live comfortably. Period. I want to be happy. It's the highest goal of my life. No matter what it takes or what I must do, I want to be happy. Happy. I want to make as much money as I can. Period. That, that's my focus. It's on me to have these things. And I just, I'm, I'm asking now, just be honest. I don't need raised hands. I don't need you to point someone out. I want you before God to say, okay, as I just evaluate honestly my own life, is a focus on me. Number two, am I driven by like my driving force in my life, am I driven by security? Financial security? Relational security? Like I'll do whatever it takes to make sure that this is safe. I protect this. Nothing gets into this. Am I driven by approval and recognition that it really does matter to me what I drive? Where I live, what I wear, you know, clothes make the man. 
It's important to me. It's what drives me. Or by acceptance, I'm driven by being in the right group, the right circle, the right social ladder. I've got to get into this clique or this club. I'm driven by. So is the focus on me? Am I driven by? Bop, 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 bop. Number three, is my mind dominated by discontentment? Like, it's just never enough. Like, the UPS guy, we know him because he's there every hour, on every hour, every day, after every day. Amazon, we should have stock in that because nothing is ever enough. Ever. Bigger, better, newer. I don't know what number the iPhone's on now. Is it 550? Right? It never ends. And there's discontent in our life. We are never satisfied. And listen to me. And some of you are thinking right now, yeah, those people with the nice cars and nice homes and nice da-da-da-da-da. It can be as simple as something really stupid as you're driving by someone's house and they have nice trees there, like beautiful pine trees, all around their property, full and secluded, and it's beautiful. And you can say, oh, man, I wish I had those nice trees. Now, I don't think that's you, but that could be me. We're just we're not satisfied. We are discontented. My mind is dominated by discontent. Always something more and more. Loving earthly pleasures. Keep up with the Joneses. Comparison's a robber of joy. It's never enough. We're not content with our yard, our car, our house, our family. And finally, as we evaluate ourselves, when it comes to Christ and my faith. Am I silent? Am I embarrassed? Do I blush to speak his name? Am I a secret disciple that no one at work would ever guess? I'm here on Sunday and that Christ is Lord of my life. Okay, so now, I don't know about you, and honestly, the truth is this morning, I'm not judging anyone in our church. I'm looking at a text and asking myself, is there a chance that I've been swept away by this philosophy and culture that I'm swimming in as well that says now is all that matters? And if you, like me, find one or two of these things on your checkbox, I would submit to you that that is the fruit of a heart that loves this world and lives as though now is all that matters. This is first and foremost a heart problem. And that's why it's so difficult, because we lie to ourselves all the time. But I want you to know, um, what the heart wants most, our minds find reasonable. As a believer, if what my heart wants most is this or that or the other thing, my mind then that's reasonable. Of course you should have those things. And what our mind finds reasonable, what we focus on, what our drive is, our emotions embrace and our lives choose. And so, I want to confront you about this topic this morning because I find in the West, this topic hardly ever comes up. We're, we're rarely confronted with the fact that it just might be that believers today in the West are living as if now is all that matters. And I want you to know that's not normal Christianity. 
It's an anomaly. It's not what it should be. And we all get sucked into it. It is the water we live in and the air that we breathe. But I want you to know this. Why is this important? Because as you read the text, as we love the world, the love for the Father gets pushed out to the side. And before we know it, our very source of life and love and joy and strength is out here as we're trying to find satisfaction and value and worth and acceptance and love here. And John will tell us as we work our way through that we'll never be found there. So, look at verse number 16. Love not the world, neither the things in the world. If any man loves the world, love the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, this philosophy, this perspective, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. This is what we are exchanging the love of the Father for is this offer of lust and desire. Now, now lust, in, in, the, in the passage, it is not, um, it's a neutral word. Some translations have lust, some have desires, some have cravings. That's, that's not a bad word in itself. The New King James, King James says lust. I think the ESV says uh, desires, right? Desires in and of themselves are not a bad thing. We all have natural desires. They are God-given. In the right context, at the right time, they are good. We have desires for love, acceptance, value, belonging. Nothing wrong with that. We have desires for food and intimacy and shelter. Again, nothing wrong. But when a good thing, a good desire, becomes the ultimate thing, I must, I will... I'll have. We begin to love the gift instead of the giver of the gift. And we must be careful. This is the lure of the world, and it's dangerous, and it will leave us shipwrecked in our faith. And, and this is nothing new. Do you understand, when John uses this, this, this phrase, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, we find this someplace else. Actually, we find it in a couple places. The first place we find it is in the book of Genesis. Our first parents, Adam and Eve. Listen to what happens. When the woman saw that, that the tree was good for food, it's called the lust of the flesh. It's good for me. And think about this. When we talk about our first parents in paradise in the garden, it's not as if there weren't other trees that were beautiful and good for you. They had their pick of everything. Everything. Lust of the flesh. Lust of the eyes. That it was delightful to look at. And again, the beauty of creation. One tree, but this is where her attention goes. And then finally, the pride of life. Desirable to make one wise. And, and do you know, when we're talking about our original parents, they were created to be co-regents with God. The God said, look it, I'm going to make a beautiful world with lots of potential and, 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 and intelligence and design, and I want you to have a great time. Go and fill it, rule and reign over it. Humanity, go rule, co-regents with God. Kings and queens on this planet underneath his rule, and it was not enough. And where they were tempted with the very thing that John is talking about, they failed miserably. There's a second Adam, though who comes on the scene. And the same three temptations are offered to Jesus. The lust of the flesh. Turn these stones into bread. He was starving 40 days. 
And yet he says, man shall not live by bread alone. The lust of the eyes, Satan showed him the kingdoms of the earth. And he said, do not tempt the Lord your God. And then the pride of life, throw yourself down and the angels will protect you. He said, you shall worship the God of heaven alone. These temptations failed. Why? Because the love of the Father for Christ pushed out all of the love for this world. And so this morning, let me just have you consider one point this morning, and we'll get the other two later on. Let let us consider this morning, in light of what John is warning us of, what the world cannot do. This system, I'm not talking about the created order, I'm talking about the creatures, this system of, of now is all that matters. The world cannot give you what you truly need. And, and many of us, we know that because we've done this over and over and over again. The world cannot give you what you truly need. There is a longing in the human heart to be fully known and fully loved. All of us. Whether you push people away because you've been hurt, or you're nervous, or you're afraid, or you've gone down that road, there's a desire within every one of us. This was the creation. Adam and Eve, in perfect fellowship and harmony with the all-knowing, all-seeing God, naked and unashamed. They knew him, he knew them, they knew one another, open, transparent, and they were loved, accepted, and welcomed. We all want that. All of us. I don't care who you are. The biggest brutes from the brute squad wants that. The smallest mousy, whatever, wants that. We all desire that. And what we believe is that this world that is passing away will somehow, some way, what I see, what I want, what I possess, will somehow give me what I want. I will finally be satisfied by this. And I know it's a cliche, but I'm going to say it. The stones were right. You can't get no satisfaction there. None. You can try and try and try. And all of us, we know this, and we have tried and tried and tried again, thinking that somehow, someway, it's going to be different for, for us. My brother and sister, it will never be different for you because the world cannot give us what we need. We are looking for love, acceptance, intimacy in all the wrong places. If you're a country music singer, in too many faces... Looking for love. Anyways, that's Johnny Lee. The same idea. We're looking in the wrong places. It's a fool's game. You will not win. You will not win. My friend this morning, there is no person on the planet, not one, that can fill the deepest need of your heart. Not one. There's not a spouse that can do this. So many folks have great, wonderful marriages. We have people sitting in our church who have been married for a long, long time. How many years, Ian? 59. We're going to celebrate his 60th next year, he says. 59. It's a beautiful thing, but I can I tell you something? Your spouse, whether it's 59 or 60 years, cannot give you what you truly need. It's impossible. Not a spouse, not a friend. Not a group. Um, they will never fill what we need. Um, and, and we live in a weird, really weird world today because this trap of thinking that someone's going to satisfy all of those deepest desires in your heart, um, it's produced really strange people. Like, it's produced a fake world today. 
Social media is bizarre. We live in a world today where um, it's fractured, but then we post things to pretend we are someone that we're not, and we act as if we got all of these friends, and our lives are fascinating, and the truth is, they're not. They're not. We have filters now to make us look like something we're not. Listen, I, I am not photogenic. I know you find that hard to believe, but I'm not. And years ago, I got a driver's license. It was, the picture was so bad, I looked like an ugly woman. <laughs> I mean, I mean, an, it was terrible. I had to keep that for four years. For four years. Can I see your picture? What? <laughs> it's, it's, and some of us, we look at Facebook, and it's filtered, and you're gorgeous, you're beautiful, you're handsome, until we really see you, then we can't recognize you anymore. That's the world we're living in. Why? Because it's worth it for me to get a like, to get approval, to have my needs satisfied. But can I ask you this? When you get a thousand likes, is it good enough? It's never enough. No person can fill that. It's empty. No place can fill that need. No neighborhood, no vacation, no possession can can fill that need. It's not as if, if I get my new home, I will be satisfied. If I get that new car, this will do it for me. If we end up in that neighborhood or that job that I always wanted, how many of us finally got the job we wanted, and after about two months, we're looking for another job? It does not work. If I just got that thing... Listen, I, I am, I'm an American by birth, if you didn't know that. Some people say I have an accent. I don't believe I do. 21 years here. American by birth, Canadian by choice. But when I, when I was in the military, when I came home, there was, I thought to myself, I, I have to have a gun. I, I, and bear with me. Some of you folks, I know, I don't want to talk to you about it. I'm talking about the American culture, okay? I want to get a gun. And so I want to get a shotgun. So I bought a shotgun. I was 20-something years old, out of the military, got a shotgun. I have a picture of that shotgun next to my firstborn child. I thought this, was, this is it. But you know what? After about three months, I thought, shotguns are nice, but I'd like to have a, a handgun. So I bought a 45, Springfield 45, beautiful gun. You know, after that, that wasn't enough because I thought I needed a smaller gun. So then I bought a 22. And after a couple of years, I thought, Kim needs a gun. And so I made a terrible mistake. On Valentine's Day, I bought her a 25 pink gun. (laughs) And that was the end of my infatuation with guns. It never brought what I believed it would. It's never enough. And, And you know this. Let's just be honest. The things that you believed would finally satisfy you never have and never will. I want to give you, and we're almost done, hang in there. I want to just give you a a story quickly. And I think this is a beautiful illustration of how we live this life believing that now is all that matters and this will, the world will give me what I need. In Genesis chapter um, 29, verse 31, this is a story of, of Jacob and his two wives, Leah and Rachel. And by the way, yeah, there's, it's polygamy. The Bible never condones polygamy, ever, ever. Um, this is descriptive, not prescriptive, all right? And every time you look at relationships where it's, it's, it's more than one man and one woman, it's a disaster. It's designed that way. So you know the story. If you don't, you can read it. Jacob um, wants to marry Rachel. He gets Leah. And, and Leah is not beautiful. A matter of fact, 
She's homely. So sad that her father has to trick a man to marry her. This story, honestly, I I went through Genesis. You're listening to That You Might Know, a series in the book of 1 John preached by Pastor Rick Dressler at Maple City Baptist Church. For more information, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. This was devastating to me as you felt the feeling of one woman wanting to be loved. And listen how it comes across. Verse number 31. When the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, literally hated. That's the idea of the unloved here. He opened her womb, but but Rachel was barren. The beautiful one was barren. Leah starts to have children. So Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben, for she said, The Lord has surely looked on my affliction. Now therefore, my husband will love me. Here's a woman who wants to be loved, valued, and accepted by her husband. This will fulfill her. So she has a child, a son in that culture. So important. And now he will love me. Guess what? He doesn't. She has another son. Verse 33. Then she conceived again and bore a son and said, Because the Lord has heard that I am unloved, he has therefore given me also this son also. And so she called his name Simeon. First one didn't do it. I need to be loved. I need acceptance. I need value from this man. Number one, no. Son number two, no. Son number three. She conceived again and bore a son and said, Now, this time my husband will become attached to me because I have borne him three sons. Therefore, his name will be called Levi. Can you see the tragedy of a woman who wants to be loved and accepted just by her husband? And three times now, no, 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 unsatisfied. Finally, child four. And Leah has learned something now. That what she needs will never come from a man or a son or any human being on this planet. She conceived again and bore a son and said, Now, not my husband will be attracted or attached or love me or be, no. Now I will praise the Lord. Now I will praise Jehovah. Now it is not about these things. My value, my worth, my dignity is not in these things. It's in him and him alone. Learn a lesson from Leah this morning. Beloved, our love, acceptance, value, and worth is ultimately found in one person and one person alone. His name is Jesus Christ. And this morning, the maker of heaven and earth knew you in your mother's womb. He knitted you together. He loves you. He has shown his love to you. And in our rebellion and in our brokenness and our waywardness and our running from him, instead of letting us go, He pursued us. He devised a plan to bring sinful, fallen men and women back into proper relationship to know, to be known, to be fully loved, valued, a person of worth and dignity. And he did this by the ultimate display of laying his life down for my sin 
and for your sin. Jesus Christ died on a cross, public, naked, and ashamed, not for his sin, but for your sin and my sin. He died, was buried, and rose again, bringing men and women into right relationship with him. And now you and I have acceptance, value, worth in him. This morning, brother and sister in Christ, you are the apple of God's eye. You are beloved, accepted. You are a child, a son, or a daughter of the King of Heaven. What more do we need? What more do we need? We are welcomed. We are fully known and fully loved. And we have been looking for love in all the wrong places. It's a fool's game. And so this morning, as we evaluate ourselves, as, we, as we're honest with our assessment, are we loving this world and turning from the only source that will ever really meet your needs? I close with this hymn. Many of you know it. You'll know it by the chorus in just a moment. All my life I had a longing for a drink from some clear spring that I hoped would quench the burning of the thirst I felt within. Feeding on the husk around me till my strength was almost gone, longed my soul for something better, only still to hunger on. Poor I was and sought for riches, something that would satisfy. But the dust I gathered round me only mocked my soul's sad cry. Well of water ever springing, bread of life so rich and free, untold wealth that never faileth, my Redeemer is to me. Listen. Hallelujah. I have found him. He found me this morning. Whom my soul so long has craved, Jesus satisfies my longings. Through his blood, I now am saved. Believer, this world will never give you what you need. So stop looking. Stop looking. In Christ, you have everything. We have it all. We have the fountain of goodness and joy, the giver of all life. Let's not exchange it for a fool's errand. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that we would just be honest, I, that I'd be honest. Lord, this is the culture I live in. And this, this appeals to my heart and my flesh. But Lord, I pray that today as we view who you are and what you've done and what we have in you, that we would not be satisfied by the things of this world, knowing they do not last. They cannot give us what we need. Lord, may we find our value, our worth, our love and acceptance in you. Burn that truth in our hearts and minds. And if there's one here today that's been looking and, and just filling up with what it, he or she thought would bring them satisfaction, finding dust, that they would see that there is a Christ who will be exactly what they need. He will love them and save them and accept them and change them and bring them back into right relationship with their Creator. So bless this time of reflection as we sing. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. If you would like to learn more about what you've just heard or are interested in the ministry of Maple City, please visit our website at maplecitybaptistchurch.com.